0: All of you guys were informed that last Sunday, um, the Friday prior, a dear friend of ours who was precious and important to us as a family, church family, passed away. His name was Kevin Brady. Um, We had his homegoing service last night, um, and it was a powerful time for me as I looked out and saw how many lives he had touched. And uh, it was a reminder to me of the power of community, of fellowship, of deep, meaningful relationships, and how they truly do change lives. They really do. Kevin was a good, close friend. I would allude to him once in a while. I would publicly make fun of him during Sunday service. which he loved. One of the things many of you may not be familiar with or know about is the fact that Kevin wrote an email to me just about every week telling me about what he thought about my sermon. (laughs) It was mostly good, mostly positive, and, and what he got out of it. And so my inbox is full of emails from Kevin Brady, which I kept, and I wanted to share some of them with you this morning. Um, brief background for those of you that didn't know kevin uh, kevin was uh, became connected to our church via the warming center and the homeless outreach ministry he was out on the streets for a while uh, and through the loving caring unconditional love of men and women in our church he got connected to our warming center and was a pain in the butt to a lot of us, but in a good way. We loved him. For those of you that know him, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yep. And, uh, and then about two, two and a half years ago, I distinctly remember, he came up to me after a Sunday service. He had been coming every week, and he said to me, he's like, I'm doing it. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get clean and Get my life on track. And uh, that's about two and a half years ago. And many of you saw uh, the transformation that took place in Kevin's life over the course of the last two, two and a half years. And um, he served in various capacities. Many of you saw him walking through the doors on Sundays as he served and greeted you in the hospitality team, served at the warming center, and various other capacities. Let me just share a couple emails with you. Uh, I I just picked out a handful. I don't know if I'll share all of it depending on time. Dear Peter, I forget when this is dated. I don't have the dates with me. It was good to see you back where you belong. Apparently I've been gone for a bit and I came back. But wait, according to your message, we're always exactly where we belong. That's typical Kevin, right? Anyhow, it's good to have you back and thanks for the reminder Sunday. I think we could never be reminded too much just how large and in charge God is. And not these normally white? How <laughs> we say this? You could trust on a black preacher to have a white or some handkerchief on him. <laughs> and then he says this. He says we could never be reminded too much of how large and charged God is. Right now, I wouldn't trade the things I have. For all the might have had or could have had, if I didn't do some of the stupid things I did do, I'm starting to realize just how much God loves me. And also starting to realize how much joy it brings me to show his love to others. My charges were dropped at court yesterday, and I got a very joyous email while you were away. I'll forward it to you with every bit of God's love I can give. The prodigal dad. And he wrote this right after he had connected with his son, who he hadn't seen in years. Here's another email. Right now, I have nothing. So I have no fear of ending up with nothing. Somehow, this gives me an advantage over others in my various small groups. It seems their fear for their future needs prevents them from radically giving the way this series mentions. I even heard one person say, the Bible says to be a living sacrifice. Well, how can I do this without keeping myself alive first? Other questions I've I've heard had to do with things such as health insurance, college funds for their children, putting money away for retirements. Peter, no one seems to have enough to give away very much. This, I think, is an issue of faith. It doesn't really seem some have enough faith in the Lord to trust them to see to their each and every need. They have more trust in their tangible things to see their needs. I know that I would still be naked and half dead, or maybe even worse, if not for some of the people at this church. <laughs> My biggest regret now is that I don't have more to give. I don't think I will ever have much because I tend to give almost as soon as I get it. The greatest... (laughs) The greatest thing that ever happened to me was ending up with nothing. Only really, really good things have happened since I was lying on the road with nothing. There is nothing to be afraid of. God will see to all our needs better than we ever could. No matter how much tangible things we have, all we have to do is start trusting him With everything. Doesn't it say in Hebrews that the only way for us to please God is through our trust and faith in him. How much faith do we really have? Works without faith are dead works. Here's another one. Dear Peter. I'm not that good at sympathy. So I'll just try to be of some comfort and encouragement. You should learn to be more patient with yourself. (laughs) Instead of looking at how proud you still are, can't you see how less proud you are becoming? And like a child, be overjoyed by every little step in the right direction. Just one single step is a work that God's spirit has begun in you. And he promises to complete that work. So what if you think you're the most self-absorbed person in the world? (laughs) Didn't you always teach us that greater the sin, the deeper the repentance? And deeper the repentance, the greater the grasp of the gospel. This applies to you too, my friend. Don't be so impatient. You are interfering with God's work in you if you lack patience. Thanks for calling me, friend. This brings me much joy since it is the thing that I really most want to be. And I... will never cease to be your friend. God bless you. This one, next one, is probably my favorite. I talk to him after church every Sunday. Don't worry, Michael, I'll wash it. One Sunday, I talked to him and I told him that I was feeling self-pity because I felt like I preached a pretty sucky sermon, you know. And so he wrote me this email. (laughs) What the heck is wrong with you? (laughs) A whole bunch, but that's also. (laughs) A whole bunch, but that's also what's best about you. Without all these things, you could never become what you're going to become, what you're becoming. Take it easy there, Sonny. This is all part of God's process, part of his good plan for you. You feel bad over preaching a bad sermon? (laughs) I thought you'd be used to that by now. Yeah. that he did right, in parentheses, just kidding. (laughs) I believe there may have been others that don't see it that way. In fact, some people I talked to thought it may have been among your best. Or maybe they were just lying to me. (laughs) Maybe they were just lying to me because they know how much I love you. Either way, His grace is sufficient. You know this. Quit worrying. Maybe this might help you write a less mediocre sermon this week. (laughs) Always, always with you in prayer, Kevin. Hi, Peter. I only got a 95% on one of my midterms. (laughs) I am so pathetic. Sarcasm is just oozing out of this email, right? (laughs) Maybe one of the reasons we have a tendency to rush is because of our misunderstanding about the ways of God. Maybe that truth that sets us free and allows us to bear fruit is not found in destinations and the events that we expect it to be found in. Maybe that truth is found in the journey itself and the events that occur in every moment of that journey. C.S. Lewis says something like, now is when the temporal meets the eternal. How much of the eternal do we miss when we rush through now in order to get to an expected destination? If we ever do reach that destination, it is like most of most our other expectations that leave us both disappointed and unfulfilled. Maybe if we see the journey itself is what sets us free, maybe we won't be in such a hurry to search for that beautiful truth where it doesn't exist and find it in every single moment of our lives. Always your pathetic friend, Kevin. This was the last email that I received. Two weeks ago. (laughs) To my angry, Asian, slightly self-absorbed, and very dear brother. (laughs) One thing that God's spirit sheds light on for me is many of my incompetencies that I am totally unconscious of. Why it is very painful to be consciously incompetent compared to the bliss of being unconsciously incompetent. God's spirit knows what is truly good for me in the long run. This pain forces me to become consciously competent and then after an undetermined amount of time, practicing being competent. I become unconsciously competent about it. I wish some of you knew how much powerful truth that is. And what he's saying? I praise God for revealing these incompetencies one at a time because there seems to be no end to them. And I would surely find it easy to be discouraged if I if God were to hit me with all of them at once. It seems as though the Holy Spirit is working through Jenny for you on this matter. Her timing seems impeccable. She must be a very patient girl and patience is a fruit of the spirit. I am quite sure that being married to someone like you attributed greatly to her patience. (laughs) And I'm sure this prepared for Parker, my oldest son, immensely. The Spirit not only gives us a whole new perspective outwardly, but also inwardly. While this may be quite painful, we could not receive the reward without that pain. And that reward makes the pain disappear. I'm hoping that you could find 20 minutes sometime soon. (laughs) I would like to discuss some of my future plans with you and get your advice. No rush. No hurries. No worries either. Kevin. It was hard for me to not be here last weekend to walk this journey with all of you, church family. But I think it was the Lord's will because I needed a week, frankly, to process and to think about what it is that I needed to share with you. One of the things that I want to address is... Some of us are struggling to make sense of how someone who loved God so deeply and knew God so intimately could struggle so deeply with something. And some of you know that Kevin struggled deeply with some addictions. I think part of the issue is that you and I don't realize what the Bible has to say. It's remarkable how the Bible never does what some of us are tempted to do, which is put people, put people on a pedestal. I think if Kevin were here, I think he would find it funny that some of us actually put him on a pedestal. Let me tell you why. Look at the Bible. David was Israel's greatest king, but he was also a polygamist. He was a terrible father. He coveted another man's wife, committed adultery with her. Attempted to deceive her husband, eventually he had the husband murdered and covered up his crime for a year. David was a liar, adulterer, a coveter, and a murderer. Simply put, no one was walking around wearing a what would David do bracelet, <laughs> right? And yet, and yet, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Is it possible for someone? To be struggling so deeply with sin and yet still long for God at the same time? Church, the answer is? Church, the answer is yes. yes. The reason why I preach the gospel to you every Sunday is for this reason. The gospel reminds us of this truth and why we struggle to grasp this tension that somebody could love God, pursue God, and yet struggle with sin at the same time. Because the gospel reminds us that although, although we are more wicked and sinful than we dare believe, in Christ, we are more accepted and loved at the same time. That is the gospel you and i are not saved because of our goodness you and i are saved because of god's goodness thanks be to god for that you and i are loved not because of our moral performance but because of grace can i remind all of us in here that we are all kevin's we are all kevin's kevin is you kevin is me we are all kevin's in here Just as there's no such thing as a recovered addict, only people in the process of recovering, there's no such thing as recovered sinners, but people in process of overcoming sin. You need to hear this. When an addict thinks he's become sober, it leads to self-righteousness and disaster is just a matter of time. And the same is true for us as Christians. When Christians think that they've arrived, disaster is just a matter of time. We are still capable of sin, still capable of addictions, still capable of tremendous evil. Gospel-believing Christians aren't shocked or traumatized when we see sin or evil rear its ugly head. But... Thanks be to God. That God is still at work in us, in our sins, in our wickedness, in our weakness, in our depravity. God is still at work in us. And the gospel through the Holy Spirit is reminded to us that although, although we are today, right now, more wicked and sinful than we dare believe, in Christ, We are more accepted and loved at the same time. And it is knowing that truth that enables you and I as gospel-believing Christians to look at the ugliness and the sin in us and have the courage to deal with it. If you didn't feel secure that you could show your ugly side to me, And know that I will not reject you. I will not leave you, forsake you. You will never come to me and be real. The same is true with God. Why would we be honest with God or others about the evil and the sin that still lurks within unless you are absolutely sure of your identity, of your security, and your standing in Jesus? I want to remind all of us this morning, Kevin is you. Kevin is me. In a community gathered around the cross, there is no room for pedestals. Let me say that again. In a community gathered around the cross, there is no room for pedestals. People who need help the most often receive it the least because that means leaving the pedestal. Kevin's life is a testimony to the fact that biblical community changes people. Kevin reminds all of us that God gives life, but so do people. In deep relationship with Jesus and with each other. I want to talk to you for the remainder of today before we take communion. What community is and why community is so important To those of us who call Jesus Savior and Lord. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, to 47, spend a moment meditating on this and we will take communion together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There's a picture of the early church. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer who were being saved what's amazing about this passage in light of what we've been talking about this fall we've been talking about going deeper in the uh, uh, going deeper in our relationship with god as the holy spirit works within us and what we're reminded as we look at acts chapter 2 is this truth church that when the holy spirit is powerfully at work in us it doesn't just take us deeper into the heart of god it takes us deeper into each other when the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in the life of the church, we don't just go deeper into God. We go deeper into the lives of each other. And when we go deeper, and to the degree that we go deeper in our relationships, it is a sign that the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in the life of a church. It's a sign that there is life. What is community? Why is community important? Here's the first truth. Community isn't created. It's discovered. Community isn't created, it's discovered. Verse 44 says, all believers were together and everything in common. The word community comes from the word common or shared by all. The Genesis Bible in Genesis begins with human beings created in the likeness of God. And that means that every human being and I have something in common. Every human being is created in the image of God. I have that in common with Him. Every human being is born with the desire to have a purpose in life. I have that in common. Every human being, Christian or not, is born with the sense of mission that I want to make a difference in the world. We have that in common. Every human being is born to, to want to be significant, to Make an impact in the world around them. We all have that in common. When the Bible opens up with us being made in the likeness of God, it reminds us that we have something in common with human beings, Christian or not, for all time. I have massive numbers of things in common with every person on the face of the planet. What happened after 9 11? Think about what happened after 9-11. You had all these people from all walks of life chipping in. People bringing food. People bringing blankets. People bringing resources. People helping the policemen. Firefighters. People praying for one another. You had all these people from different walks of life. Of every race, every ethnicity, every culture, every educational background, religious belief, socioeconomic class. You had all these people coming together. You had this global and national sense of all of us being together. And the powerful truth is, it's not that I 9 to 912 community was created a 912 people discovered how much we have in common how much we just simply as human beings have in common with one another we want our lives to matter they want their lives to count And I want to remind all of you this morning, when we talk about community, we immediately talk about Christians and fellowship, and I'll get to that. But the reality is you could have profound, deep relationships with someone who doesn't believe what you believe because you have profound things in common because you're made in the likeness of God. It's birthed out of this reality that we're not fully human until we are connected in community. This is the flaw of thinking. Talk about creating community, creating community. We don't create community. We discover how much we all have in common. Community happens when you discover, church, that a homeless guy, a drug addict, a Muslim, an atheist, Christian agnostic, there are some things that we share in common Because we are made in the likeness of God. For those of us who follow Jesus, however, there's this powerful solidarity that goes even beyond this common solidarity we share with humanity. I love talking about this with Kevin because sometimes he and I will sit there and go, how the heck are we friends? How the heck are we friends, you know? And we both laughed about it because he knew What I knew, which is that the very essence of friendship is not that we look at each other, but the very essence of friendship is we look at something else that we have in common. What makes you friend with someone is not you saying, do you love me? But what makes you friends is saying, do you love the same truth? what makes you deep and intimate with somebody, if you want true friends, it doesn't go very far if you're just looking at each other saying, isn't this great, we like each other. But when two of you discover another common truth that both of you are looking at and saying, isn't that beautiful, true friendship happens. And for those of us follow Jesus as Lord, we're reminded that the Christian faith gives you the ultimate thing that binds you together and his name is, say it with me church, Jesus. You and I have experienced the gospel that has radically transformed our hearts. That's why when two people become passionate about Jesus and two people become passionate about the mission of Jesus, regardless of how far and different and diverse their backgrounds are, there is a powerful connection that happens, a depth of relationship that happens as the two people no longer look at each other but they look at some other larger all-encompassing truth and say both of us are about that and it takes us out of our self-absorption and enables us to give to be generous and to lay down our lives for others that's why the bible says in ephesians maintain the bond of peace you maintain not create maintain the bond of peace you can't create it you and i are called to be stewards of it it comes to us as a gift look around this room i tell you guys all the time look around. what brings all of us together here is it age is it race ethnicity culture what binds us together to come What binds us together to come and go deep in our relationships? It's no longer that we are bowing at the altar of race, ethnicity, class, educational level. We're no longer bowing at what the world says as fashion sense, musical taste. We're no longer bowing at the idols of those things to bring us together. But all of us have pledged allegiance to the king. We have surrendered our lives to the king. We are all bowing before this one king. And it is that powerful reality that draws us together. It is that powerful reality that draws us together. That is the only way that you can make sense of how people from such radically different backgrounds could share a level of intimacy and depth that the world will look at and go, how is that possible? How is that possible? So here's a question for you. If you become a brother or sister, to somebody who was dealing before the same thing. And there's growing within you a list of people that you're loving from another race, culture, class, education. My question to you is this. Is there a list of people in your life that astonishes you? That if you look at them and go, how are we friends? take this seriously. If the gospel has broken into your life and the gospel has snapped into your life and you have bowed down to the King of Kings who has drawn all of us together, my question is is there growing within you a list of people that you love and are friends with that you're astonished that you are friends and you love them? The Bible says that this is the test of grace, church. If you've experienced grace, you find yourself not only getting along with, but loving and entering into deep relationships with people before that you would have had nothing to do with? Is there growing within you true intimacy, depth of relationships, and love of people from another race, culture, educational level, and background? This is the test of grace. What does your of friendship look like? Does it powerfully testify to this gospel that has drawn us together? One of the things that Kevin did was greet my kids when they came into church. And Kevin messed them up. Not because you, Kevin messed them up. Because parents in the city teach their children, don't talk to strangers. Don't talk to homeless people. Because of Kevin, my kids will look at homeless people and think they come to our church. Because Kevin was their friend. Kevin was their uncle. Community isn't created, it's discovered. Not to totally mess you up, but here's the second truth. Community isn't discovered, it is created. Verse 46. (laughs) Hang with me, church, hang with me. Hang with me. You know, Kevin would have wrote an email tomorrow and said, that made perfect sense. That's exactly what I would have said. Verse 46 says, every day they continue to meet together. One of the marks of the early church was their commitment to connectedness because they knew that connectedness just doesn't happen. Connectedness is more than just meeting often with people. It's about a level of depth where you know them and they're known by you. I've done this exercise once in the life of our church. The Bible in the New Testament has over 200 of these one another passages One another passages. Love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, build trust with one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another, be accountable to one another, confess to one another, live in harmony with one another, do not be conceited to one another, do not pass judgment on one another, do not slander one another, instruct one another, greet one another, admonish one another, spur one another. Toward good love and deeds. Meet one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Do not be consumed by one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another. Carry one another's burdens. That's all I'm going to stop right there. Here's my question. Here's my question. Here's my question. How many of those one another? have you done in this last hour that you've been sitting here? How many of these one others can you do in the window of a two-hour service on a Sunday morning? See, this is the disturbing thing for me when I hear people in our church that I love, I love you, I love you, who say, I go to a new community because here's what you mean you mean that you come to a worship teaching event. You're coming to a worship teaching event. When you say, I go to new community, and you're saying, I'm part of this body called new community, you're actually saying, I'm committing to doing these one another, that is impossible within a span of two hours on a Sunday morning from 10 to noon. Can I get an amen? And if this is the reality of the Christian life as the Bible pictures for us, what does it say to us about our view of the Christian life? The language of the church becomes distorted when we speak of church as an event. Church is a group of people that you meet with, that you break bread together, that you have coffee with, that you laugh together, you cry together, you're accountable. And you do life together. That's the church. And until every single one of us, I know that there are many of you for whom church and new community is coming to worship event, but here is my pleading with you. Until every single one of us has a circle of people who we are doing this one another with, it's not the church. But what would happen if every single one of us were part of a circle of people like that? See, to me, this is a danger of a church like ours that has community groups or small groups because people think that by going to a small group two hours on an evening during the weekday, we think we're doing church. When all it might be doing is just reinforcing for us to be superficial and trite in the name of Jesus and never enter into community. I love the fact that you come every Sunday, many of you. But I plead with you, not my opinion, I plead with you with the Bible from Scriptures. Be a part of a church, not just a worship event. Be a part of a body, a group of people that you could do this one another with because this, the Bible says, is the essence of the Christian life. And we cannot do this on a Sunday morning in two hours. And yet you see the impact and the life transformation that happens. <sighs> I started laughing when I was going through the one another list. Do you know why? Because I was going through and going, that's Kevin, that's Kevin, that's Kevin, that's Kevin, that's Kevin, that's Kevin. Do you see just in his emails how much of an impact he had on my life? That's because we were committed to each other. I serve two hours on Sunday, but every day of the week. How serious are you about wanting to be a part of this church? Church, not a worship event. How serious are you? Third, community is needed. There's some of you, some of us in here saying, "I don't need community. I don't want community." And I think the reasons sometimes for us are valid, seemingly. I can't tell you the number of times I have people come to me and say, Pastor Peter, it's so hard being a part of a new community because I'm constantly saying goodbye to people that I've developed close friendships with. It's hard. And there's some of us who enter into a different phase in life. And it makes it really, really hard to create more time and more effort and energy as we have kids and as we move on to different phase and different seasons in life. And then there is this. Some of us in our church, we've been hurt deeply. We've been hurt deeply by people that we trusted. We've been hurt deeply by people we kind of became vulnerable to. Because the truth is, the only people who could hurt us deeply are the very people that we're most vulnerable to. For some of us, for various reasons like this, we get ourselves to a point where we go, I don't need anybody, I don't need it, I don't want to do community. But here's the problem with needing people when you actually need people. Can I say that again? Here's the problem with needing people when you actually need people. You've heard me say this analogy before. Nobody, none of us walking around going, air. I love air. Air is great. The only time that you and I go... Air is when we're under water. And I've said to you over and over again the only time that you truly appreciate friendships is when you're emotionally under. The problem is if you don't have community and friends built around you, when you're in trouble, it's too late. It's too late. Do you have people in your life? Do you have people in your life who you can go to when you're under emotional life, emotional pressure? Because if you don't, when you're in trouble and you don't have built-in friends and community, it's too late. I'm constantly reminding you guys this, and I'm going to remind you again today. None of us in here are a product of individual choices that we've made. None of us in here is a product of individual decisions. We are all product of community. Think of why you're sitting here today going, you know what, Peter, this whole talk about community relations with death, I don't think so. I don't think so. The reason why we think that is because we have been profoundly shaped by community, good or bad. Some of us are afraid to trust because we've been abandoned. We've been rejected. People that we were vulnerable to hurt us deeply. Community is what shaped you. And here's the deal. The Bible says over and over again, community is what messed you up. Community is what will heal you. Just as food nourishes the body, so does community nourish our souls. For those of us that have a hard time grasping unconditional love because we grew up in a home where unconditional love was never shown to us, you will not understand unconditional love on your own. The only way that you will understand unconditional love is if you're surrounded by a community of people who love you unconditionally. If you've never experienced forgiveness and grace, because every time you did something wrong, instead of being extended grace and mercy and forgiveness, you were hammered. The only way that you will come to grasp the power of forgiveness is not intellectually, it's not listening to more sermons, it is being surrounded by a community of people that when you do wrong, instead of responding in the same way that you're accustomed to, they respond to you in grace and in forgiveness and mercy. You will not understand God by having more quiet times alone. You will come to understand God in community. Sitting there going, that sounds good, Peter, but I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid of getting hurt. I'm still afraid of rejection. And fear makes this whole vulnerability thing pretty hard, which makes trusting thing pretty hard because creating community means we have to put ourselves out there and risk getting hurt, risk getting rejected, risk being let down. But man, if I want to just leave you with something today, can I leave you with this? The idea behind humanity created the image of God is that we were created to reflect God to the world. (laughs) And one of the most powerful ways that we reflect God to the world is that we show God to the world what God is like when we get hurt, when people disappoint us, when people let us down. We reflect God to the world when we respond when those things have been done to us by not giving up on that relationship but learning to forgive, learning to reconcile, learning to extend grace. We learn to pick up the pieces, get back up again and try again instead of giving up on one another because isn't that the heart of God? Isn't that the heart of the gospel? Isn't one of the most powerful ways that we reflect God to the world What could be more God-like than a group of people who are living in community, learning to forgive each other, not giving up on each other, even when offended and betrayed, learning to extend grace and compassion and pursuing reconciliation? What could be more God-like than forgiving and loving someone who doesn't deserve it? What could be more God-like than loving someone who is unlovable? At the heart of the gospel is this truth that no matter how many times we let God down, we disappoint God. His response isn't one of, that's it, but his response is one of grace and mercy. At the heart of the cross is forgiveness and is reconciliation. Is this not powerful truth that the way they reflect the image of God, the likeness of God to a watching world is not by portraying some fake Trite, superficial, putting on a mask thing that says, when you become a Christian, everything will go okay. When you become a Christian, we all get along. When we get to become a Christian, we'll never offend each other. But when we become a Christian, things don't always go right. When we become a Christian, we fight, we argue, we hurt each other, we betray each other's trust, but we don't give up. We forgive, we reconcile, we pick ourselves up and continue the journey. Is that not what the world needs to see? So if that's what the world needs to see, we need courageous people in the church who will say, the way that we reflect God to the world is not by having some fake, superficial, perfect community of people, but just a bunch of messed up, egotistical, fallen, on the way to overcoming sin, sinners who are just hurting, offending, disappointing each other, and yet we look at one another and go, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not not giving up on you. Do you want to be a part of a community like this? Lastly, community gives life. Verse 46 says, They broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love this description. People in the early church met with glad and sincere hearts. Sincere literally meaning free of deceit, falseness, or hypocrisy. In other words, this was a church where everyone could come just as they are. Isn't that awesome? And where hearts are sincere, I love it, there's gladness. There's glad- where hearts are sincere, where a community of people who are sincere, there is joy, there is gladness. Do you know why? Because you and I all know when you and I could step into openness and we don't have to pretend anymore, hearts are glad. It gives life. And the opposite is when you step into place where you feel like you have to wear a mask, be fake. It robs you of joy and sucks the life right out of you. The spirit of God flows in transparency, openness, authenticity. Where hearts are sincere, the Bible says there's gladness. But the challenge is we have a sin problem in the church. The problem is not that we sin. We all have that problem. Our problem is that we can't talk about it. Our problem is that we pretend that we don't have a problem. This is the reason why in the church we're comfortable with stories about people who used to sin and people get invited to give testimonies as long as they have happy endings. I used to have a problem, but then I met God and now I'm doing much better. But can you imagine going to a counselor and saying, you know, I only want to talk about problems I used to have. I don't want to talk about current problems. Please don't ask me to acknowledge my current problems. It'd be embarrassing. I'm afraid you might reject me. Why would anybody go to a counselor to try and convince the counselor that they don't need a counselor? But here's the question. Why would anybody go to church to convince people in the church that they don't need the church? Why in the world would you and I show up here and to try and convince each other, I don't need to be here, but I'm here anyway. We all know the truth. Can we just stop pretending? Can we just stop pretending by the fact that you're here? means that you got issues. (laughs) Can I get an amen? And that's okay. That's okay. I can't tell you the number of times I'm sitting in my office and I have counseling sessions with people in our church and there's somebody comes and sharing just absolutely devastating gut-wrenching story. And at some point, as they're weeping, I will stop them and I'll go, have you told anyone about this? And I will hear, no. Nobody knows. This is happening in the church. This is happening in a community of Christians, of fallen sinners in the process of overcoming sin. Why is it that the one place that should be the greatest place of healing and safety is not? And I'm asking myself this question today. How am I contributing to this culture of superficiality? Am I real with people when I meet with them? Do people know the truth about me? Do people know the truth about my struggles and my issues? What do I do to contribute so that when I'm around people, I put up this wall that says, Have you asked that question about you? Have you asked that question about you? I confront the strange problem, church. If a pastor confesses some serious sin, people think I should leave the pastorate. But if I only confess to safe, non-scandalous sins, people think I'm inauthentic and hypocritical. So at this moment right now, I find myself wanting to make some confession that will make me look vulnerable and honest and yet not be so scandalous where it will cost me my job. Simply put, I can't confess my sin without sinning in the act. Why is that? If people are okay telling doctors that their body has a problem or a mechanic that their car has a problem, couldn't sinners be okay telling other sinners that they have a sin problem? Couldn't sinners be okay telling other sinners that they have a sin problem? If I want God or anyone else for that matter to love the real me, I have to work at getting real. So here's the thing I want you to know. If you don't really know me and my issues and you come up and go, I love you, Peter, I won't hear it. Do you know why? Because I'll go, if you really knew all about me, you wouldn't love me. The only way that I can be fully loved is if I'm fully known. The only way that your I love you will radically transform me is if I know that you know all there is to know about me and yet you still say, I love you. You can only be fully loved when you are full. some of you in here right now are getting very emotional because you're looking around going, I'm not fully known. These people that I do life with, they don't know all there is to know about me. Can new community be a place where we can be fully known so we can be fully loved? can we become a place where we can be fully known so we can be fully loved? It is when we are fully known and fully loved that we will experience healing. That's why James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sin isolates us and sin and isolation will make us sick in our soul and even in our body. He who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. He who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. But confession and then prayer in the context of an unconditionally loving community ushers in the Spirit and heals us. This is why the New Testament says over and over again, accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Acceptance is more than just, I like you. Acceptance is more than just being liked by someone. See, I'm so thankful. I don't know if about you, but I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't say to me, hey, Peter, if you clean up a little bit, act a little better, read the Bible a little bit more. Then I'll let you into my family. Jesus is at work in me. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is I don't have to pretend to be in His circle. He knows everything about me and says, I accept you. That's Jesus. What about us? When someone knows the embarrassing, humiliating truth about me and still accepts me, I come alive. When I'm with people who know me deeply and accept me fully, their acceptance touches my brokenness as a doctor touches the injured place on a patient's body. Their very touch begins to heal and through the mystery of the fellowship of acceptance, the Holy Spirit flows and there's healing. There's healing. Can new community be a place where we can be real? One of my favorite hymns is the hymn called Just As I Am With One Plea. Anybody know that hymn? And that song speaks of coming to God without hiding, knowing that I'm simply loved as a gift. And I tell you what, guys, if there ever was a Just As I Am church where people could come, and not pretend, where people could come with their issues and not feel like they need to... Be cleaned up. When people can feel like, you know, I'm not quite there yet. Is my testimony okay? When people could come with all their baggage, all their issues, all their mess, and find a community of acceptance and unconditional love, there wouldn't be enough room in this place. There would not be enough room in this place. People are hungry, you guys. People, your friends, my family members are hungry for a secure, safe place where a group of people are so radically transformed by the gospel, they could come and go, really? This? You sure about this? Me? All of it? You really? And to hear a gospel response that says, yes. Four questions as we end. Am I willing to acknowledge my need? You know, I almost wanted to go there today. I almost wanted to go. If there are those of you that are sitting here today and you've just been literally on the edge because you are struggling with some powerful, deep things and you literally feel like nobody, nobody knows. The reality is that individual there will not go there first and share if he or she does not feel safe in a community of people who are not modeling and showing what are your needs. You know it's amazing whenever we've given altar calls here for people to accept Jesus. Everybody just sits until one person up front or where it gets up and then all of a sudden they're do 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 do. And I find that dynamic. If you're with a group of people, I guarantee you, everybody is sitting around that room going, I'm not going to be the first. I'm not going to be the first. I'm not going to be the first to share about my eating disorder. I'm not going to be the first to talk about my addictions. I'm not going to be the first to talk about my anger. I'm not going to be the first. The fact that I'm struggling with sexual purity, I'm not going to be the first at the fact that I am greedy and spend all my money on myself. I'm not... And one may open the floodgate of transparency and honesty is to have one person who has enough courage to go, I'll be that one. I'll be that one. Am I willing to acknowledge my needs? Secondly, am I willing to create space for it? What decisions you need to make about time, how you spend it in order for you to have physical, mental, and emotional energy to be in community with people? How about creating space literally, you guys? How many of us are regularly opening up our homes, ready up, opening up our apartments so we could be hospitable to men and women, just having them over. How about creating space via financial resources? How many of us are willing to take a hard look at our money and a hard look at our resources and go, how much do I spend on me and how much do I spend for others? Every meal that I go out to buy for me, how many meals do I pay for someone else? Every meal that our family has together alone around the table, how often do we invite others simply to join us? An extra plate or two. Third question, am I willing to enter into discomfort? Not being self centered, self absorbed with our time, emotions, our homes, our money will act in caring about someone else besides ourselves will not be comfortable. It'll feel downright foreign to us. Putting yourself out there to people who may not embrace you initially will feel uncomfortable. Being patient and persevering as as it takes time for relationships to develop will be uncomfortable. Because can we just be real? We don't like waiting for anything. It will take time. It will take energy. It will take effort. Getting to know someone who comes from a very different background will take time. Having your, my, tiny little life, well-planned and schedules, disrupted by someone who is in need, will be uncomfortable. Dying to myself is uncomfortable. And yet that is precisely the call of discipleship. That is precisely the call of Jesus if we are to follow him. The ultimate call of discipleship is a call to death, a death to ourselves. But Jesus says that it's the only way to life. He says, he who loses his life for my sake will find it in dying to yourself and to myself, in dying to our self-absorption, in dying to my life. We lose a life, but we gain a life, a life much better than the one you lost. And as Kevin taught me, it turns out that nothing you lost was really worth keeping anyway. Last question, am I willing to observe? the saying is that just as the three laws of real estate is location, 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 the laws of relationship are observation, observation, observation. Can I just say something here, please? Just even on a Sunday, how many of you walk through these doors and never ever take a second to observe someone else beside you? How many of you walk in on a Sunday and actually intentionally observe and saying who's hurting, who's need, who's sitting by themselves? She looks discouraged. He looks like he's hurting. They look like they need prayer. They came by themselves. They're not sitting within. How many of us observe, observe, observe? Because it is when we know that someone knows About us, because they've taken the time and the effort and the energy to observe. That we come alive. You're sitting there going, Peter, are you saying it's as simple as that? We begin by just observing. Yes! Take your eyes off of yourself for once and look around you and say, Who needs me? Who needs Jesus? And just being observed and being noticed for some people in this church right now, that can be the journey to their healing. Do you notice the people that you walk? And in small groups, instead of the whole, hey, okay, let's get on to our business, do you sometimes really sit down and say, Holy Spirit, will you give me eyes to see beyond just the surface? God, how is Carlton doing? God, how is Thaddeus doing? God, how is Jeanette doing? God, how is Matt doing? God, will you give me eyes to see? Because it isn't dying to myself that I could really begin to live. <sighs> the hardest thing for me during this whole thing has been that I never got to have the 20 minutes with Kevin to be completely honest with you there's a part of me that says oh if I would have just talked to him for those 20 minutes maybe things would be different but here's what I know I'm going to see him one day I'm going to smack him first and then I'm going to go and then I'm going to go what do you want to talk about and I have a feeling that he's going to say I wanted to let you and everybody in new community know how much you're meant to me and then I'll say to him your legacy and your life and the way it impacted all of us in our community as a result of you There will be many more people who will see you on renewed earth and thank you for your life. God, I want our church to be a community. God may I be so bold as to ask that we as a church actually live up to our name new community to have in common God cause that's the longing of my heart that's the prayer of my heart that these hundreds of men and women who walk through these doors Sunday in and Sunday out to attend this worship event, God, would realize that your, your mission for us is so much more, so much greater, so much more powerful. That your mission in your death and resurrection is that you would create this alternate community city That would in its life together embody forgiveness, reconciliation, unconditional love. God, if I could just talk to every person here, I would tell them that they're not here by accident. I would tell them that they didn't walk through those doors by accident, but that you sent them here so that they can be a part of this church family and the mission of God. That we're in this together. And just as one person, had a profound impact and influence in so many lives to understand the essence of the gospel in the heart of Jesus, that that same mission is for all of us, that it will be said of us that our legacy will be because of him and because of her and because of their lives. I came To know Jesus more because of their life, I came to love God and others more.